0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward.
1: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, October 24th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkametspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, now Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkametspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkametspodcast.com. And of course... We want to thank our great partners over at Fansided. We couldn't do it without them. And joining me, as uh, I did last week, we're having these special, I guess we'll call them celebrity guest co-hosts, yeah. Devin Gordon. I'll call you a celebrity uh, guest co-host here, author of So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports. He was on earlier this spring. You can check him out over at ESPN. He's had kind of a little continuation of that book over there at Devin Gordon X, as in Xavier McDaniel. I'm a big Knicks fan. I had to throw that in the X. So there he is, Devin. So last week I had a good friend of mine who does some Islanders content, used to be co-host with me on ESPN radio out here on Long Island. And I got criticism. They're like, Mike, you talk over your your co-host, do a better job, think about the listeners. And I'm like, you know what? That's fair. I listened back. I could have done a better job. So my commitment to you, Devin, is, I'm going to try not to talk over you. All right, so welcome oh, in. How I you doing? Do the same.
2: I'm, I'm going to try yeah. to do the same. I wonder if I have the same habit. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe maybe we'll next week out. your listeners will be calling in and saying that 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 co-host, that celebrity co-host of <laughs> the yours, the celebrity co-host <laughs> D.
1: We could call you the D-list celebrity co-host. There you go. Make that's a perfect. Bit. I mean, I'm the I, D-list I, I, of the D-list. At least you're on the D-list, so you go like that. I'll so I'll t- at least I'm on a list. So you're still doing some stuff for ESPN, Devin, give the the listeners as we, you know, kick off here. So they get a little flavor. They have, you have the book. I know that you've been doing some stuff for ESPN. What's been going on with you since uh, we had you on the show back in the spring?
2: Well, I, you know, I write for a bunch of folks. ESPN has been um, the most consistent lately because of the baseball season, I think. So I wrote about the blue Jays for that. I wrote about Vladdy Guerrero more specifically um, for them. And then I wrote this mess piece, but um, you know, I, I do stuff for the Atlantic and for the New York Times magazine every now and then. Um, but right now, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping to start some big projects off and maybe take a little break from from magazine writing along with the Mets. We need some time off, we need to regroup, we need to figure some stuff out and come back strong.
1: Are you wearing a Taiwan Walker shirt? What is the shirt you're wearing? Oh, with
2: it? this is actually a Kemba Walker shirt. A
1: Kemba, Walker, Kemba shirt. Walker shirt. So I'm going to tell you how I'm dating myself. If it, I first, when I first saw Devin's shirt before the show, I said, "Is that a Kenny Walker shirt?" Now there's some of the audience that are like Kenny Walker. Like, right? here you go, Kenny Walker. One of my first Knicks teams that, and I've been getting into the basketball. Nice. The Knicks are looking pretty good. Only two games, uh-huh. uh, but the first team I ever rooted for, Knicks team, was the Rick Pitino Knicks in 1987. So when I saw the Walker, Walker, but Kemba Walker, there you go. So we got a little Nick. It's, got, it's a little,
2: for, for your viewers, who can't see it. It's a Johnny Walker design. Looks like the, you know, the Johnny ah. Walker character. Um, but instead of Johnny Walker, it says Kemba Walker. Um, and Kemba Walker, just, you know, not to go on too much of a detour, but Kemba Walker is the only UConn graduate. I, I have ever liked. I went to Duke. So Kemba Walker, UConn graduates. You went here, to Duke. Just, what, year did
0: did, yeah. what year did you graduate?
2: What year did you graduate? 98. 98 so i was sort of smack in the middle of the k era
1: and i'll make you laugh so i'm a st john's graduate and one of the best when oh, i went God. to st john's one of the best wins they had under that was that freshella or jarvis the jarvis team going into duke going into cabaret indoor that was a jarvis indoor, team, was a jarvis and, beating team and beating duke and duke yep. i think ron artest may have been on that team that yep. now it's metal world peace but when they did that i remember i think it was a january visit to duke i said St. John's going a national championship and people like, nah. And I, when I was a senior in, at St. John's, I said, guys, I wouldn't tell you this, that team could win a national championship. And sure enough, uh, they came close. I think the elite eight, they lost to Ohio state, but, uh, interesting Duke university, St. John's and Duke. So we got a little, uh, a little mix here. Now yeah, the complaint the will be, there, but... the complaint will be we talk basketball instead of baseball on the show. So there's your first complaint that we could have coming out of, uh, the, uh, the feedback. Hey.
2: It's, you know, it's from the shirt to the Knicks, whatever. Give us us a break, listeners. We'll get to the Mets now, okay? There you go. Are you
1: watching any of the postseason? Did you have a chance to watch the Braves celebrate Travis Darno celebrate Freddie Freeman, celebrate? We are coming off of the Braves now winning their first pennant in over 20 years. Uh, I didn't realize how long it is. It's amazing. 1999, the last time they won a pennant, Kenny Rogers was walking it off to Andrew Jones and the Mets lost in Game 6.
2: Good Lord. Um, It feels like it was... 20 years Yesterday. ago. Um, yep. uh, I did not watch, I have not watched a, a, any of the Braves uh, play. Um, I, I'm in Boston. Um, I live in Boston. Um, my son is permitted to root for the Red Sox as a backup team once the Mets are eliminated. So we were watching a lot of the Red Sox games, um, but I, I tune out the Braves. I, I can't even, you know, I, I, I don't have any problems with the Dodgers. I, you know, I was certainly rooting for the Dodgers, but I just couldn't even watch them. I just didn't want to see the Braves. It's just... It's, I have a very hard time um, watching them be successful. Let's
1: put it that way. You're a great person then. Uh, and I've been saying this pretty much for a while. You're up in Boston. How long have you been living up in Boston? Uh, how Not long? quite
2: three years. Not quite All three right, years. But, so you weren't there 20 years ago, but I feel no, there's this no, no, no. kinship. A, I, I, was in, I was in New York for 20 years before that. Yeah, but
1: I feel like there's this kinship with the Red Sox pre-2004 with where the Mets are currently right now. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of components that are good a little bit of chaos in terms of not so much ownership, but of course, ownership did change later on. Uh, GMs change, things like that. And it's interesting that you're up in Boston because now the Red Sox are this established team. They're not the same now. It's almost like it's not that little engine that could, but I've always been jealous of Boston because they're the big city, but they're all rooting for the same teams. What we don't have here in New York, just a little non sequitur, but you being up there, I think it's an interesting take and an interesting component because I've been saying this for a while.
2: Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that's nice about having a team like a Red Sox in my backyard and almost literally in my backyard, like we're, we're, we're a half mile from Fenway um, is getting a glimpse at a team that can really hit. Um, and, you know, that has been a theme for me in the second half of the season. I was writing, I was up in Buffalo because that's where the Blue Jays were playing for most of the season until they got to go back to Toronto Uh, Writing about Vlad Guerrero, watching him over and over and over again, watching that team over and over and over again. And this was mid-July, late July into early August, which was, you know, right when the Mets season was falling to pieces. And it was instructive because we were all at that point, I think, still having this war between are the bats going to come to life or is this just our team, right? And I think that the optimism was still there. Or maybe there was this acknowledgement that these guys were good hitters who were just having down years. And then I was watching the Blue Jays and watching that lineup.
1: Yep. That was like, a tough lineup.
2: Yeah. And the guys, and I came back after watching that team for a couple of weeks, you know, sort of came back into the orbit of the Mets and was like, oh, now I get it. We've just been deluding ourselves. This is what? just, this is just not a lineup of hitters like we thought it was going into the season. And when you watch teams like the Blue Jays with their lineup, or you watch teams like Boston with their lineup, or even now Atlanta, um, even with the holes they often have in their lineup, as you look at that infield, I mean, it's just, those are playoff lineups. And what we had in retrospect was a lineup that was just good enough to get us into the playoffs if Jacob DeGrom pitched like an all-world pitcher for the entire season, and he did Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you um, one of the
1: better one of the better series wins I thought the Mets had was the Toronto series at City Field. I think yes. it was late July. I thought Edwin yes. Diaz had one of his better. That Sunday afternoon was one of his tougher saves. I mean, Vlad Junior is better than his dad. I know it's only a couple of years. He's his dad with his dad's power, but he could get on base. He's, yeah. uh, he's got that extra component. It makes you feel old when you say that, you know, Vlad is dad, you know, here I am, you and I. That whole story made me feel old.
2: That whole story made me feel old. That whole, because, yeah, you know, that, whole,
1: that whole Blue Jays lineup, Biggio yeah. and Vlad Guerrero and Bichette and all those kind of things. I mean, geez, it was just
2: yesterday. And, yeah. you know, it's not like we were, you know, it's not like Vlad was in my childhood. You know what right. I mean? Like, he was like a rookie in the late 90s. I was already <laughs> right. in college. And I know. Now I'm watching his son like this is this is getting um we're going to you know the the younger listeners in your audience are going to roll their eyes but this is you know we you and I seem to be heading into that age where um uh it's getting alarming because you know the younger version the juniors of all the players that we grew up watching are getting to the age where they're almost ready to retire you know yep. what i mean like <laughs> right like you know um so I don't know. I'm worried that we're gonna like when is the first MLB grandson that we're gonna be witnesses to? <laughs> I watched your granddad play. You know, like I'm, the first... I, I, I worry we're only a few years away from that
1: now. Geez, that's true. I mean, look at the look look at that. Now you mentioned you're looking at these playoff teams and these playoff lineups, but I think there's a lot of learnings that as we go into the offseason, and I think this is gonna be a long, quirky offseason. I mean, there was Reports out today from Bill Madden in the New York Daily News that the winter meetings will be canceled, not because of COVID this year, but because there is probably going to be a lockout. Yeah. yeah. And and I don't know how much activity we're going to see before December 1st. I suspect not much unless a players like, hey, I want to sign. I don't want to sit through Christmas and New Year wondering where I'm going to be. I don't care what the CBA looks like. It'll be very interesting how that plays out. So it's, and and that might play to in the Mets favor because they don't have a president baseball operations. They don't have a GM. They don't have a manager. So they're way behind on all this, but there's a lot you can learn Devin. And I'm curious. So here's, how I was looking at it first making the playoffs. The Braves are proof. Anything could happen. The Cardinals mm-hmm. almost beat the Dodgers. Cardinals were way, were behind the Mets. They were no man's land. The Met, they came to city field in September It was was plausible that the Mets could have overtaken them if they had won that series, they win 17 in a row and they were uh, an inning away from beating the Cardinals. So there's the first thing, making the playoffs matters. The second thing is it doesn't have to be the stars, Chris Taylor, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Adam Duvall getting some hits in the playoffs, obviously Rosario for the Braves, a guy that was, you know, on the scrap heap, Uh, you know, uh, Jorge Solar, who had COVID and couldn't play, but played big down the stretch. As you build your team this offseason, it doesn't have to just be about the stars. Scouting and finding the underappreciated assets, which the Mets did a fairly good job on that this past season, really, really, really makes a difference. And then the third thing I'm thinking as I watch the postseason, which applied the Mets, managers matter. Alex Cora, Dusty Baker. Look, you let a guy manage. You let a guy do what he's got to do in the dugout. Forget about the blueprint and the game plan and all this other Bureaucracy—it's like a big Washington D.C. meeting sometimes in these teams. With these teams, managers Mm -hmm. matter, and Dusty Baker shows that sometimes this isn't rocket scientists. It's not rocket scientists to be a big league manager. We've kind of overdone this, so those are kind of where I feel the Mets. If you're watching, Mm -hmm. those are the learnings from the postseason I have.
2: Yeah, I want to take the one about the depth and the 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 Eddie Rosario's. Mm -hmm. The, of the universe, because while we are talking about, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays with their, with their thumping lineup, I want to take a slightly different perspective on what you're talking about. With the Eddie Rosario coming off the scrap heap. And that is our tendency to be done with players a little bit too quickly. And also our tendency to not see the worth in a lot of players. Um, we tend to look at guys as either, are they going to be in our starting lineup in our rotation or not? And we talk about, well, who's going to play third? Is it going to be McNeil or is it going to be this guy? And the truth is they all end up playing third because people get injured, right? Right. And, you know, there's 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 this narrow line between, on the one hand, you look at guys like Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith. I think that those are sort of the parallel bats to the Eddie Rosario types that you're looking at, right? And what that shows you, I think, is that if you're counting on someone like Jeff McNeil for too much, you're going to get really, really frustrated with him. But it doesn't mean you should trade Jeff McNeil, right? It it doesn't mean that he's no longer a player that can help you win or even that he's a player that you should get rid of because he's not going to hit his ceiling the way you think it was. You know, He's not going to hit the ceiling you thought he had, or maybe it was a little lower than you thought he had. But... If you've got him in a situation where he's put in the right places to win, the right positions to get in a, a hit, and has 400 at bats versus 700 at bats, you know, Jeff McNeil could just as easily be the Eddie Rosario of the next time we're in the playoffs. We just don't know these things. We, every time we watch the playoffs, we see some hero, unheralded hero on some other team, oftentimes a couple of guys. Who come through and just have these big series because they're really good baseball players, right? So let's not sell off on these guys too quickly. Now, that being said, if we are putting them, if we are expecting way too much out of them and misevaluating them, then that is going to be a real problem. And to me, that's where we, you know, I think you've really identified something very, very important here with the Mets and how they approach their offseason is okay, we got Lindor we got Pete Alonzo, we've got Jacob DeGrom. Those are three awfully good cornerstones to a team when you talk about superstars. But what happens not just the next level down, but even below that, and those guys, those are the teams, like you look at the Blue Jays, you look at the Red Sox, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Braves, those guys are killing it. Those guys are really good players. And the Jeff McNeils on their teams are at the end of the bench. Right. Right? And Maybe not the end of the bench, but close to the end of the bench, right? And I think that's what the Mets need to be aspiring to. My concern is that it's a very, very difficult thing to build in one offseason, number one. And number two, you described the work stoppage. My concern is that the word stoppage is going to be really bad for the Mets. Because I think what we need to be looking at this as is if the work stoppage happens in December, we have no idea when it's going to end. Right.
1: I don't think it'll end. Uh, I'll tell you this. I don't see it ending before New Year's and I so, wouldn't be surprised if on January 15th, we're hearing stories about spring training may not start on time.
2: Okay. So, you know
1: that I, I, I don't, I don't unless the players are really willing, unless the players are really willing to compromise, which I think they feel they have for a long time um it'll be really interesting to see if these guys are willing to miss a paycheck because it could come down to that and i don't know and i think the owners are betting or some of the the jerry reinsdorf group you know i'm not going to put steve cohen maybe in that and and i you know i don't i'll put him aside because he's a new owner the guys like jerry reinsdorf and the long-term owners they're the guys who are going to run this thing they're the guys who are going to say this is what we need remember they didn't want a Cohen coming in because they were afraid he was going to spend like a drunken yeah. sailor. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see that, which may lead to an NBA style fracas come Valentine's Day or March 1st, where now all these guys are looking for a home and every hour on the hour, you're going to see you know what's going on. And by that time, you would think the Mets have a front office. That's not just well- Sandy Alderson, Sandy's son. And Ian Levin, you know, that's that's my concern. I
2: mean, you you, you put your finger on the concern for me is that I actually feel like this November is going to be extremely busy. Um, For all those reasons, I think a lot of teams are going to be, particularly teams that have work to do on their rosters, are going to be really, really alarmed by the prospect of going into December, a work stoppage, not knowing when they're going to come out of it not knowing how much time they're going to have to build a team coming out of it. And I just don't think the Mets want to be in that group where they're forced to scrap together, you know, their entire off season, you know, in the middle of some laser show of free agency because it's so compressed. Now you could argue that the Mets go into a situation like that with an advantage because they can just outspend everyone, which, and I do think that that is an advantage, but I I think it's going to be I'm getting really nervous about the front office situation because the the clock to me is the factor. When I look at Twitter, I look at Mets fans reacting to this, you know, um, you know, criticizing folks in in the media for being too critical of the delays and the chasing of the three big name guys who are never going to come. I feel like the thing that fans are overlooking is the ticking clock. The clock is ticking in a way that it never does. And while sure, we're going to come out on the other side of a work stoppage, knock wood. I mean, I hope we're not going to lose the whole season, but that is a lot of time off the clock that the Mets need to do a lot of work. Unlike say, you know, the Dodgers or the, look at the teams in the playoffs, right? Those are teams that are not going to have to do as much work on their teams. And those are the good teams. The ones we're trying to beat. They're in good shape. The Mets, have a lot of work to do and we need November to get some of that done especially you know, you look at Javi Baez and I you know who knows if that report is true but him saying hey look if the Mets come in with an early big offer I'm, well, I'm there I'll sign there, it. Look, there there's look, your guy that's true but- well that,
1: there's the there's the the real uh, question are there guys that are looking around saying I want nothing to do with a work stoppage and not knowing where I'm going to play and do I want nothing to do with that fracas, especially a guy who's, who's in a position where there's a lot of inventory over there. So that's a good guy. Um, I think you really hit the nail on the head of where we're at. And I think it's important. I, I know for a fact, knowing people have dealt with Sandy Alderson, he doesn't really like to leak. I think a lot of your leaks that were happening on his prior, his prior tenure were guys like JP Ricciardi, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the owner's son, you know, Omar, guys like that that you know were part of that. You don't have that right now. If Alderson yeah. and his son are the two main principals right now, and I don't think Steve Cohen is looking to yap to any reporter, at least it doesn't appear looking at his Twitter feed.
2: Yeah, he doesn't yapping on Twitter.
1: What you're getting is a lot of fan speculation, educated guesses by members of the media, third party educated guesses from other teams who have their own biases. Look, you heard reports about Brian Sabin love John Harper, but don't be surprised, a guy that covered the Yankees in the 90s, Saban called him up and said, hey, I like this job. Throw my name out there. Guys are going to use the media for their own devices. So Mm -hmm. we're formulating a narrative based on a lot of conjecture. And that's Mm -hmm. dangerous because that's now going to gaslight the fan base, that's going to agitate them. And we have to remember that we have to at least take a step back and give this owner a chance to show that things are different. We're putting this, and you wrote about a little bit, the LOL Mets in your October 6th column. It's an easy narrative to look. They they walk into it. I'm not criticizing (laughs) it. Your book kind of highlighted all that, but sometimes it's easy to paint that when we don't have the real information and let's face it. It's much easier now in this journalism void, at least baseball wise here in New York and the football season going awry NBA just started this, you know, the Yankees are boring. They just got Aaron Boone signs with three year deal. And we, you know, God forbid we touch, you know, them too much. Brian Cash might get mad and not leak, um, you know, easy to beat up on the Mets and take the stick. Mets got basically unprecedented positive coverage last year around this time when Cohen came in, I think it was a love mm-hmm. fest until Jared Porter's text yep. phone, text messages came out. Then it all went away. And, in and, 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 one, you know, bad picture it all went away, you know, And uh, I think we have to remember that, that there is a lot. We don't know. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. And in in a post-COVID world, there's Zoom interviews. There's virtual. Cohen's a guy that comes from an environment where a lot gets done virtually. It doesn't have to be a dinner and a meeting and a wine and dine. I'm not sure that's where this is going, like the managerial search a couple of years ago. So we assume nothing's going on. And uh, they had to do their due diligence on the three big names. But did you ever believe it made sense for those guys? We, we act like, all oh, well, you know, the Epstein doesn't want the Mets. Well, maybe it doesn't fit – any team fits his world now. Billy well, Bean uh, lives in paradise out there in Northern California and has got an ownership stake and he's got other business ventures. Do you want a guy coming here that has his eye on, you know, other things? That's a recipe for disaster. And then well, what, I, I, Milwaukee I, was just going to hand over their executive to the Mets? Uh, uh, you know, that's that's exactly what one of our market teams don't want going into a CBA. So,
2: you know, well, I, like, can we talk about leaks for a second? Because I think yep. leaks is an interesting subject. And, and Alderson is, is known, at least we think he's known for not leaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that the that, that fans um, talk about a lot. And they tend to use leaks leaks um, in the pejorative sense. And maybe this is just me coming from the journalism side where, of course, we depend upon leaks. We like leaks. Right. But there's a reason teams leak. There's a reason front office people leak stuff. There's a reason. And if you do it strategically and you do it carefully and you do it wisely and also you do it ethically. Right. We are not necessarily people gossiping out of school. That's called on background. And lots of front office people talk to lots of journalists on background to help them shape their stories, help them have context for the information that they're relaying. And occasionally, yes, to quote information that the Mets or whomever may want out there or think is useful to be out there, but don't necessarily want to trace back to a specific person because then that person gets asked the specific questions about this. Leaks are useful. The idea that a front office cracks down on leaks and does not permit them. And fans look at that with a positive view. Look, can I disabuse fans of that notion? The next time you hear about a front office that cracks down on leaks and is very disciplined and doesn't permit that stuff to happen, get worried. Start getting worried and take my word for this because it means they're not accountable. It means they are not going to share the explanations for their decisions. And it means they like doing things that don't work in private where they can't be called out on. If you look at any administration that has no leaks in the front office or prides itself on that stuff, when they get in trouble, and they always get in trouble, they crack down, they look inward, and they don't take responsibility for themselves. The fact that this administration, the Sandy Alderson Mets administration does not have any leaks, why do we look at that as a good thing? Look at the track record of this administration. Look at the people who have worked there. Look at the things that they've gaslighted us about and not been direct about and not been honest about. Jacob deGrom's MRI, the one over the summer that quote unquote came back clean except that it actually revealed a small elbow tear. When you don't have leaks, this is what happens. The fans get lied to. And when things go wrong, when you don't have leaks, there is no accountability because they've all turned inside and made this a wall in which there's an inside and an outside. Well, you know, so you're
1: throwing the whole other thing is they're letting the media shape the narrative. So I look at the yes, athletic sport where that's the thing and, and that's, that's and look, I'm I, I, one of the biggest things I thought with, whether it's a GM or a president of baseball operations, and I'll tell you, I don't think they have to have a president of baseball operations. Uh, I think they could have a GM. I think you, and I think Andy Martino, Uh, said it best they have an owner with a lot of money even in a new cba i think that money will be an advantage i don't think that ever will go away Uh, they have a strong scouting department you know maybe the guys aren't on the team that that they scouted all of them and drafted but i think they've done a nice job uh they have a new analytics department that at least from a defensive standpoint had an impact Mm -hmm. um and uh it's not the same organization I, i i think that that's part of it um but what my problem is, and and again, I I could see you're, where you're going, where you're saying the Mets created this by, you know, clamping down on on whatever it may be, is the Athletic comes out with a story with speculation from the other side where well people don't want to work for Alderson and Alderson's yep. son and Sandy Alderson is going to uh, be hovering over the uh, uh, you know whoever it is. That's the exact same narrative they did with Jeff Wilpon, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I last I looked, Sandy Alderson is not related to the Cohens uh Fred Wilpon even though he has a five percent stake in this team can't save his job like he saved Terry Collins job for years and years and years and years I do believe and I well I know that Sandy was brought in to get Cohen approved I don't think Bud Selig and Bud Selig's cronies and Rob Manfred could save his job if that's what's getting in the way um yeah I mean and and, and, and from what we understand he's respected so he's respected across the game so I don't, I don't see where that sense. narrative is 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 real. That story I, is not fake, but it's a lot of you're a journalist. You could write a story and find the right source to give you what you need to make what you want to say sure, come out on sure. paper. I mean it's not I, hard. You just gotta I, find I, the right I person. I, I, I also
2: I agree with you. I think that there have been, you know, some of the beat speculation about the undesirability of the job, quote unquote undesirability of the job. Look, I'm not basing this on any personal reporting. I don't buy any of that for a second. Show me. I mean, to me, that that is a journalist mentality being put onto a, a, a real-world situation where they're not thinking about it from the right perspective. People in baseball, ambitious people in sports, ambitious men in any walk of life like being around the guy with $12 billion. They like having friends who have $12 billion. They also like being in New York. They also like doing jobs, running baseball teams where they can actually spend money and go get good players. I am never going to believe, and I have never seen any actual evidence that Steve Cohen tweeting hurts anybody's interest in this job. And regarding Alderson, I've just never really heard any I've never heard that he's meddlesome. Like, there have been a lot of criticisms of Sandy Alderson from a personnel choosing standpoint over the last couple of years. But I don't know that he has any reputation for being a meddlesome uh, guy. No. Especially since he's been the one who's been in the job. So he would be the one who got meddled with. So I also don't see that as being a legitimate concern, but what you're pointing out goes back to my concern about leaks. When you put nothing out there, when you operate like an iron dome that lets no molecules of air through, what happens is the void gets filled by speculation, some of which is smart and some of which is dumb and some of which is in between. But when you put it all into the universe, you put it all on Twitter, you put it all on social media, all of it looks the same. It's all coming from unnamed sources. The arguments are better or worse depending upon who's made them, but all of it is being crafted to fill this void, as you say, and also read tea leaves based upon what we actually can see as being out there. Now, look, here's my issue. Let me just let me just summarize from a from a leaking press perspective why I've been so frustrated with what the Mets have done here, because I'm usually I, it's not my instinct to take the negative on them, if, believe it or not. My concern here, number one, is that they wasted several weeks on guys that they knew were going to say no, that they had vetted long ago, because it's not like there was any reason not to. You can vet Billy Bean. You know who he is. You can vet, right. you know, you can. This is not right. You vetted Stearns. That, that, that was
1: peculiar. That was yeah, peculiar. The, the which whole, makes the me wonder is it crafted by the Mets? Are we seeing a crafted. Because yeah. they knew they didn't talk to them. Maybe that goes back to what you're saying. They're crafting this.
2: Let's stipulate that because actually I think that that's, let's stipulate that they talked to these three guys knowing that they were going to say no, mostly to throw a bone to the media, to the fan base, to people who expected them to go after the big fish and would have been on them if they didn't, right? Let's say that they did that on purpose. From a PR perspective, from a press perspective, from a marketing perspective, what you do And what the Mets should have done under that scenario is have front office people talk to reporters and say, look, we're not going to get these guys. Maybe it'll be a miracle. Maybe one of them will say yes, but we're not going to get these guys. We're doing it because we need to check off the boxes. But while I got you on the phone, here are three or four folks who we think are really great. We think are really sharp. We don't know if they're going to talk to us. We don't know if we're going to hire them. But there's a bunch of people out there that you haven't heard of that we think are really super. And the reason why you put those names out there, even if you don't end up hiring them, because it doesn't matter. You don't have to hire them. The reason you put those names out there is so that your fan base doesn't think your list of options and the media doesn't think your list of options was three guys that you were never going to get. And now you're starting over and a month is already gone. That's why you have to handle this stuff carefully. The reason why Mets fans are so up in arms thinking nothing's going on, the media thinks that nobody wants the job, we're all worried about this, is because the Mets didn't do anything to lead us to believe otherwise. That's what happens when you have a full lockdown with no leaks, is that all we see from the outside is big names turning down the Mets, just like we thought they would. Well, how's that? You you on?
1: wonder if, and you talk in this talk about Cohen wanting to go after a younger GM. Now, look, you get a promotion, you come here, you're going to get paid, but you're not going to get paid your first job, big money. And you got to be careful. They look, they see Zach Scott, you know, who knows maybe he has a problem. Hopefully he gets help, whatever. Porter, he, he laid his seeds many, many years prior and all that. Um, you're not going to get, and I, and I talk about this all the time, these marketing rebuilds, so I'm going to come in and I'm going to write, you know, lay the foundation. And I got, mm. and like Martino says, GMs want money and they want years. You're not going to get the years here. Everybody says they want to rebuild and they want to do it the right way. First off, there's no schedule to win. We're not right? rebuilding. Here. There's no, <laughs> there's no schedule. Here. If you rebuild here, you're forced into it. Even if it's, and there's no reason why you can't build up your farm system and and I don't care if you have the f- number 1 pick or the number 6 pick or the number 10 pick. I love how people were like in September, well if the Mets lose today they'll get the 10th pick instead of the 12th pick. Do you really think it matters? Gavin Cicchini was was picked in the first round. He's not he's never stiffed anything. Uh Brandon Nimmo was a first round pick. I think he was 11th or whatever it may be and he's a really good player. It's so crazy. It's it's ludicrous. Um there's no schedule to win over here. And I think that there is guys that want to come in and at least have that breathing room to get into the job, market the rebuild like everybody else does and say, well, we're scheduled to win around here. That never works out that way. And just because the Astros did it, and just because the Cubs did it, Cubs did it to a lesser extent, doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. And by the way, in the history of, you know, whatever, uh, they were like the two that actively destroyed their team. Every other team just fell apart, was forced into it.
0: Yeah, You're usually yeah.
1: forced into a rebuild. You try to win until you can't. The Pittsburgh Pirates, the 70s into the 80s, before they became a good team, they were forced into a rebuild. Same yeah. with the Atlanta Braves, who became a dynasty. They didn't actively say in 1985, we're going to be really bad for five years. No, they, they kind of just became bad. They yeah. became bad. And, like, and that's my thing. Um, you got to come in here, and the goal should be duality of winning and yes. building. Constantly. Yes. And you can yes. do that. And I feel like it's an either or, or the, or the, it's being positioned where a lot of candidates, it'll be an either or. And it drives me crazy because it doesn't have to be that way. And to me, I wonder, is that a narrative? Uh, and a lot of times we, we build these uh, think tanks through the media, through social media, through blogs, mm-hmm. especially with younger, uh, you know, analytics driven writers now where, well, this is the right way to go about building a team. There is, there's good principles, so. but there's no right or wrong way. And Devin, you've been a fan just as long as I have. I remember after the Marlins won in 2003 with Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo at the top of the lineup. What were they saying that winter? Well, you got to go out and you got to build a team based on speed and stolen bases. You know, yep. the old home run and the, you know, yep. from the nineties, that's over. What happened the following year? The Red Sox won. Well, it's all about on-base percentage. Yep. yep. And we go on and on and on and on and on. And, and we have a tendency to lionize the current situation. And you'll see that with some of these guys that we talked about, like Rosario, like Chris Taylor, who will be very desired. They may get a crazy contract, assuming there will mm. be contracts handed out. And you're going to have to say, well, that's not exactly what that guy's worth. Just like when Pablo Sandoval got a big contract after, you know, that, that great postseason in 2014. Yep. I remember saying, bad contract, they will regret it. Sure enough, Red Sox regretted it. So the point is, we have to like shy away from these uh, proclamations, the zero sum thinking that hopefully is more us doing it and and Twitter doing it, not necessarily the reality of what's going on behind the door, behind closed doors.
2: You know, it's always tough to separate that, right? Like, and it's exacerbated um, by an organization that's that, that supposedly doesn't leak, except you know, of course, they do. Leaks always happen, um, and that void that that creates, you know, the the, the you know the Brian Sabian thing um, is an interesting uh, thing to look at in terms of how these jobs and how these uh, hires get made. The way that was positioned, and I, I believe Disha Fosar, uh in the Daily News was the one who was the one who wrote that story. Um, first sort of surfacing his name and then everybody started, you know, jumping in on her story. Um, and clearly somebody named Brian Sabian leaked that story um, or people in the Giants organization leaked that story because they want his name on the radar or he wants his name on the radar. Now, it's very unclear based on that story if Brian Sabian is on the radar at all, right? It didn't, it didn't look that way to me. It looked like... um He's, you know, he's trying to get himself in the ring for the job. So what are we supposed to conclude from that? Are we supposed to conclude that Brian Sabian is a candidate for the Mets job? Are we going to hear from the Mets saying, yes, Brian Sabian is a candidate or no, Brian Sabian is not a candidate? Why wasn't Brian Sabian a candidate for the job? Why does he have to audition for it or lobby for it in the New York Daily News? Wouldn't Brian Sabian he's someone considering he's won three, three world series, the previous decade. Isn't he someone who like, you know, like, why isn't he calling the Mets directly?
1: Right. Why isn't, he, you it's, know, why isn't You know he what, Devin? Then? It's weird because when, when they went through hiring a president uh, a GM uh, back in 2018, it went relatively quick about a month and you heard names, Doug Melvin and Brody Van Wagenen's name got thrown out there like at the end and, No one took it seriously, and he winds up getting the job. And then with the managerial search, it was pretty well-sourced typically by SNY. Well, this is what's going on. You're getting none of that now, not even SNY. And SNY and Martinez are usually the guy that gets most of what is at least the skeletons of what's going on. It's really interesting that nothing, zero, which makes me wonder, is there something to – and let's remember – these guys, there's 30 owners. They're all in cahoots. They're all talk. Mm-hmm. They all may have decided, hey, guys, we're just we're slowing down. Play the World Series. Do your little, you know, nickel and dime business just to get ready for the offseason. It's all about the CBA. We don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and And you could talk about collusion, all look- that stuff. Believe me, if the owners don't want to spend, they won't spend and you'll never prove collusion. It was hard to prove collusion one, collusion two. There's been instances where you may be able to say it happened over the last 25 years, but not enough to go back to what really happened that was overt. I mean, overt. They they, they drove by the cop at 90 miles an hour back in the 80s. That's the only reason they got caught. They got so arrogant that they drove past them with a radar gun and said, no, that's not true. It's like, well, yeah, it's true. So it's really weird, and it makes me wonder if the CBA is playing into it, because there is no sense of urgency at all for a manager – you know, Schilt is out there. Mets probably won't get him. I don't think he's gonna sit around and wait. Unless there's something happening, unless truly there is an iron curtain and all this and the media is kind of poking around and looking around and doing it nobody nobody's getting anything. It's the it's the most amazing situation I've ever seen. And I truly believe that's what's going on, because I don't think anybody's report is anything more than educated, sourced guesses. That doesn't mean they're lies. They're just well thought out suppositions, maybe, so to
2: speak. If you can I can I just speculate something as a journalist here. Mm-hmm. If the Mets were more public with some of these names, isn't it possible that's that they wouldn't run into these calamities because somebody might unearth it before them?
1: Yeah, unless they feel that going I guess one of the things that they could be afraid of is fans latching on to a name and perhaps. The, I guess it's the public outcry or the disappointment or, you know, maybe they, f- they're afraid to anyway. shy away. Maybe they're the, afraid they're going to lose a the... really good candidate. Maybe there's a, 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 a competitive situation here. I don't know. I, I, you know, listening to you earlier about being worried because there's no leaks is an interesting take. I've never thought of it that way. Uh, certainly Sandy Alderson is a guy that, uh, and I've seen some people compare him to M Donald Grant. I've compared him to a Washington DC lawyer you know, he belongs in, in some presidential administration where he goes out there, he's coughing up his storm. He drove me nuts a couple of weeks ago. My biggest thing is, I said, if this guy is the one that's selling somebody on coming to New York, I hope that he's got himself and I hope he's healthy. Believe me, I don't want to wish ill on anybody. But he did not come across as a guy that I'd want to work for, that I was confident in when I saw that end of the year press conference. I was at the end of the
2: year press conference and it was uninspiring, to put it mildly. Um, may, very uninspiring. Um. It was, well, I mean, look, look, this is a job that he has been forced, not forced, but reluctantly pulled into more than once. This is not, you know, one of the reasons why I think it's so weird that people are like, you know, is he going to be meddling or interfering? It's like, have you been, I think he's been trying to get out of this job for like two or three years. You know <laughs> what I mean? He doesn't want to do this. Right. He doesn't want to do this.
1: So it's a really young, like Doug Melvin that, said, it's a young man's game. Yeah. If you have an older guy, and that's the thing. What's frustrating to me also, if you look at both the GM and the managerial situation, there is no younger name that you look at that like inspires you to say the next crop. It's really weird. I feel like we're hanging on to the Buck Showwaters and the Brian Sabians and and Dusty Baker and Joe Girardi. And I'm saying to Mm -hmm. myself, I just don't get... um, uh, I just don't get why there's nobody. There's not this cluster of of hotshot or desirable executives and managers that everybody's talking about. It's it's really weird. Uh, Brian Dozier's throwing his name. Guy just retired five minutes ago into the mix as a manager. Maybe former players look at uh you know uh, Dave Ross uh, and say, okay, I could do that. Well, it's a little bit
2: more complex, well, right? Yeah. You know, one thing that I would yeah i mean i I think um there's a tendency to see these things in generational terms when the when the truth is you can make a terrible choice who's young and a great choice who's old, and we've seen right. both of those right like you know i don't look I don't know crap about who should be the manager I don't know crap about who should be the g m or president of baseball operations. We are going to be getting into a universe certainly with the certainly with the front office guys where these names do not mean anything to me. You know what I mean? I may recognize the names, but whether or not they are actually qualified to be that to do that job on a personal or professional level, I have no idea. And neither are the rest of us, by the way, which is one reason why you put the names out there is so that when you hire the guy, we don't like vulture on him <laughs> the second you hire right. and you rip for right. every little tiny thing you've been right. doing that for a couple of weeks, so that when you hire the person the fan base is already a little familiar with him and ready to get excited. Like these things, these things matter. These things, good organizations do these things right. And, you know, on the generational front, you know, like the guy, I don't know who should be manager, but I've been wishing Ron Washington could be our manager for most of the off season. The way that guy talks, the way he stresses things, the way he behaves, he seems like almost exactly what the Mets need. He's 70. I don't care if there's a 70 year old managing the team next year, especially if the players love them. But I do worry, like what worries me about the Mets is just, I just don't trust their personnel decision-making. It's not a generational thing. It's not, Oh, I wish they'd go with younger analytics guys because they're too old school. It's not that at all. I, I think we're all into the analytics era pretty strongly. I don't think that and even the old school guys, quote unquote, old school guys, I think that they're, They're old school by comparison, right? They're balancing everything and using this stuff as much as anything, you know, using it as, yeah. I don't really think that there are any true old school guys left, but what I worry about is just the Mets judgment. Are they going to pick a good guy? Are they going to pick someone who's not a jerk? I'm going to, I'm going to
1: make you laugh because no matter who they hire, no matter who they hire for president of baseball ops, GM manager, a couple of things come to mind. First, everybody criticizing the Dodgers because they're starting relievers in a postseason, which is mind-boggling, a $300 billion payroll. Max Scherzer's tired. I'm saying to myself, what is going on? What is going on? But I just, as we're talking, I Google real quick. I know Ron Washington, you brought up, manager of the Texas Rangers, back-to-back pennants, lost one brutal World Series loss. And this is a headline from the Bleacher Report, October twenty. He's John McNamara. He's John McNamara. Right. October twenty-eighth, twenty eleven. Here's the headline: Bleach report. Rangers versus Cardinals game seven. Blame Ron Washington and fire him. He's a great motivator, but he can't manage a bullpen. And I'm saying to myself, everybody I've heard when you said Ron Washington. Tell me how much everyone loves Ron Washington come June 15th when the Mets, you know, blow a bullpen game and all that. It's it's just what's funny is, is that. Uh, it doesn't matter who gets hired well and they really have to have a thick skin you have to have somebody and and I'm curious as we really wrap up here I want somebody that knows what they're getting into because this is pre-2004 Red Sox territory yoke around the neck I mean you your book kind of talks about that your book talks about There's these spurts and there's these moments where you're about to break through, but there's almost like, there's that anvil holding you back. Somebody's got to break through. Somebody's got to do what Theo Epstein did. Um, And I need someone who could appreciate scouting and analytics. I think we have too much, you know, zero sum thinking. It's got to be one or the other. And that's really where uh, I'd like to see whoever they hire GM president, whatever. And then I think that will translate into the right people. In the organization at that point. Look, the
2: the there is the reality here, and we have seen it in sports over and over again. Catastrophic process, everything looks like it's going wrong. Disaster, disaster, disaster. They make a miracle hire, get the right person, and everything goes from there. You know what I mean? Like the truth be the truth that the idea that um, chaos and catastrophe never works out, we know is not true. Now, that's not a strategy that I want the Mets to be going in with, but you know, that is a way of saying the Mets could come out of this with a really, really good president of baseball operations. They could come out of this with a really good GM. And ultimately, it is true that that's all that matters. And I hear that from fans you know, in the Twitterverse all the time. All that matters is that we end up with the right person. That is true what if we don't and the fact that the mets have this approach with these people to make this higher in the past and it has gone badly suggests that if they get it right it'll almost be like luck
1: you, and, you don't want to do the jets thing here you got to do this yeah, like, you don't want to do I the jets thing yeah
2: I, I i want us to i i want the mets to be successful because of um excellence of process, because that's replicable. That's how you know you're building a good team that can do this for over and over and over again. I'm going to throw you you the the...
1: evil, the evil empire scenario. That'll be great for media. That'll be great for, you know, tons of podcasts and radio. Yeah. But I think will be the antithesis of good process and probably a little wacky. What about Jeff Lunau and Carlos Beltran? You bring the, you bring, you bring the guy back that built the Astros. You bring him Beltran back. You should have never been fired. You know, I, I to this day the sign stealing thing I think was punishment for Tobman and the Astros being like you said earlier, kind of iron curtain, and then the iron curtain got blown out, and and look at what the emperor had no clothes. It's funny because again we lionize and this is the way you do it, and sure enough. The emperor had no clothes, and it's too good to be true. It never is.
2: Nothing is perfect. The evil empire scenario. Well, okay. It- okay. Luna, am I pronouncing it right? Lunau? Yes. I Lunau. never know how Lunau. to pronounce that name. Yes. Luna. I believe. Um, I believe you did. Someone. Someone will correct us on Twitter if we. Didn't. Okay. Um, the Mets can't hire him because of the um, the sexual harassment scandal in Houston. If they do, they're stupid and they haven't learned anything, and they deserve to get criticized for it. It's too bad because in that regard, because Lunau um, in a pure baseball terms, obviously is a very, very gifted team builder, but the Mets with all of the catastrophes that they've had over the last year, including Bauer, who could have been the biggest of them all if he had actually gone to the Mets, like the Mets thought that he was going to, um, you can't hire Jeff Lunau. You'll get destroyed and you should now Beltron. Is a more complicated case. Because I've heard his name come up, they're like, Well, Alex I got to go back and A.J. Hinch and blah blah blah. Well, those guys were really successful managers. Right. they had won rings. Right. Beltron was a rookie manager. And look, I you know, if you go back and you read and trust the reporting from the time about why Beltron didn't ultimately get the job, it wasn't just because of the science dealing thing. It's because it seems pretty clear that when he was confronted about it by Van Wagen and Wilberton yep. and all He handled it lot, poorly. He, he handled yep. it very, very poorly. Very poorly. And yep. if that is the reason why you did not hire him then. Right. Don't hire him now. Don't hire him now. Don't, don't be. I and agree here's with the other thing. Because, because here's the thing. This is, a, this is one reason people don't think about with the Trevor Bauer signing. And, and there's a parallel here, a very remote parallel with Carlos Beltran, which is one reason you don't sign Trevor Bauer is because if, if he screws up again, he takes you all down with him because you're the one who made the decision knowing that he was a problem, right? Takes you all down. That's the other reason why you don't sign a, a Trevor Bauer because if you're wrong, there's no excuses. Parallel situation here with Beltron. If you hire Carlos Beltron to be your manager and it becomes a problem or a disaster, Oh my God, how on earth could you let this happen? Of all the people you let into your building, telling yourself it would be different. Carlos Beltran?
1: And it's a shame What's because I think he'd have you? a lot to offer on a coaching staff. He I don't might, think he wants to do him, that.
2: Let him, but let it's, him
1: you know, go someone else. That's a crazy, so yeah. the interesting thing, what I find funny though, and this goes back again to you're in the media. I'm just, uh, you know, one of these outsiders who does this little humble thing here. Is that the media now says, well, it's okay for him to get a job? They, there was no chance he could. I'm not have, you're that. right. He, <laughs> he, you're not, you're not, but you're right. He got fired because the way he handled it in front of his bosses. And I think there was a chance that he was going to have his job, and he would not have been fired. But I think they were concerned he that he could not have. There, I think that I think there was a might've. lot there. There was a lot I think there. He and, if and he
2: and, and didn't he blew survive it. it. If he didn't survive it in that moment, because it was just too ugly then he would be getting another chance. Now he would be, and I still think somebody will give him another chance at some point. It does seem like people think that he would be a very gifted manager, right? But it can't be the Mets, right? The guy's got to go be a successful manager somewhere, try it somewhere. And you know what, Carlos, five years from now, I still don't want you as our manager. I'm sorry. I don't ever want to see Carlos Beltran in the Mets. So, so what are you going to
1: be actually, doing now? So you're not. So you're not going to watch the World Series. You're not going to watch. Is this conundrum World Series? I actually want Dusty Baker to win, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll say this. For I, I don't. Yeah. I never really was. I never really hated the Astros. Uh, I didn't like a lot of the people that were in that organization. They're everything that's wrong with baseball. But you know, God bless them. They built a good team, and I think Dusty deserves a title. I think. maybe he can be the guy that could bring some sanity back to this game where everything is about the plan. And can we just watch the game? Can we, can we manage by watching the game? Does everything have to be like a stock portfolio and maybe dusty could be the hot, well, let's bring back, you know, normal managing from, you know, all these years. So I'm rooting for dusty. Uh, I don't hate the Braves. I don't really care if they win. It doesn't bother me. I'm past all that, man. Even the Yankees don't bother me as much anymore. Maybe I'm getting too old, man. Maybe I just – Mets are out. That's that. it.
2: I'm surprised to hear that. I mean I, it probably um, – I'm saying that a, now because they're out. If the Yankees won, it It's good mental me. health for you. I mean I'm sure just, that your you mental know, health is probably better. What are you, you going to do? I can't control it.
1: I can't control it. Doesn't, it doesn't – look,
2: know? I'm not going to be beside myself if, if the Braves win the World Series. I'm just not going to pay attention. I'm just going to – you know, it's NBA season now as far as yep. I'm concerned. Watching the Knicks. Love basketball. You know we got really, you know, unlike football, and and I guess to a certain extent baseball. We've got a couple really, really interesting basketball teams in New York that I'm very excited to watch. And let me know, Matt, when you've decided to pick someone to run the organization. And will do
1: you realize, Devin, that Yankees and chaos a little bit Mets situation, two bad football teams. Chaos in Brooklyn. The Nets get blown out, and there was a protest uh, supporting Kyrie Irving in front of the Barclays center. I saw that. Uh, you know, nobody cares about Hockey Boomer, right? The Knicks are the bastion of stability. And, and, and what what The Knicks. So it takes time. Thank God for, for the Knicks. Thank God for the Knicks. Thank God for the Knicks. That's that's how we're going to end off. Thank God for the Knicks. This has been great. You were a great co-host. I hope you enjoyed it. Um Thank you. We, we got to do it again. So, okay, real quick, um, before I, we wrap up here, Devin Gordon, So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports, came out in March. If you haven't read it yet, uh, check it out at Devin Gordon X. You got anything going on? Uh,
2: what's what you got? Halloween next week? Are you dressing up as Terry Collins for Halloween? Halloween? Um, I'm, not, I'm not dressing up. I, I got to get, I got to figure out the kids. My son is going as Shang-Chi. My daughter is going as a character from Clueless. Uh, uh throwback that's the one thing crazy. clueless is clueless she loves clueless she loves clueless that's like a, a college a, that's um,
1: a college movie that you like that's like when i was a classic, kid did you want right? to dress up as your dad's uh, character in a movie your dad watched? probably not guess kids today now like you know who knows
2: yeah it's it's everything is new there's no old anymore my <laughs> daughter loves it and yeah i'm gonna you know i'm gonna going to get into some basketball season. And, um, you know, early next year when the Mets come back, I've got, you know, I've got a Mets piece that I'm cooking on. So I'll be back with some Mets stuff at the start of next year.
1: Devin, this has been great, man. Let's do it again. Have a great Sunday. Yes. We'll talk soon, buddy. All right. All righty. Thanks. Be well. Great time, Devin Gordon, good stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here with the celebrity coast. He's on ESPN. We could consider that a celebrity. All right. You know, look, like I said, we're going to continue to bring you content. You know, I I was thinking about taking a week off, but I'm like, you know, it's such a weird time right now where, um, you know, anything can break, you know, we don't know what's going on. Uh, But I think we had a lot of fun. I think we had some interesting things that we could talk about here. Devin brought up a great point about leaks or lack thereof and what that could really mean for the Mets. So stay tuned. I'm sitting here just like you are waiting to see What's next? And similar to what we talked about with my buddy Joe Bono last week uh, on, on last week's show, it's hard to even build a team or even know what's going on between the CBA, um, you know not knowing who what even the Mets strategy is here. Are they still looking to do a president and a GM? There's a lot of unknowns, so it's hard to even do hot stoves. So this is an unprecedented off season. This is a different time. So we'll continue to try to do some fun stuff and hopefully you enjoyed another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you get a show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, now Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at podcast.com, And check out our buddy, uh, our buddies, Rising Apple, Over at the Fan Sided Network, we're part of the Fan Sided Podcasting Network. Great partnership with Minute Media. Love those guys. Check it out. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another show next week. Till then, take care, everybody.